Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, a look at a variety of psalms. The psalms are the prayers of God's people, encouraging and teaching us how to pray in our day. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. So, title here, we have the title is The Mystery of Mankind. The Mystery of Mankind. So, the big question that our passage is going to ask and answer today is, what is man? What is man? Look to the person next to you, just ask them, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? The key to figuring out who you are is in discovering what you were made to do. What you were made to do. So God has built us for a specific purpose. Every single person, every single human, kind of like a car, all cars, they have a general purpose to get you from A to B. But there are specific types of cars that have unique purposes. You know, a Honda Civic might get you from your house to your work, you know, on a daily basis. A 15-passenger van, I don't even know if they make those anymore, but a 15-passenger van might be able to transport a whole youth group or, you know, a family of 11 or 13, um, if any of you guys understand what I'm saying. But I'm more concerned today with that general purpose because like a car, we all as humanity have a general purpose. We have a general design. And and if you're able to figure this out, if we're able to answer this question today and we're able to really walk out this question, question, we will live a life of joy, happiness, peace, and a life of fulfillment. But if we get this wrong, if we get this question wrong, we're going to live a life like a hamster on a wheel, striving but never achieving that joy, that peace, that fulfillment that we were meant to have. So... You guys ready for this purpose? I'm going to give it to you. Here we go. Here, here it is in one sentence, and then we'll unpack it as we go. Man is made to make much of his maker. Mankind is made to make much of his maker. That is to say, kind of like a, a, a painting that shows off the greatness of the artist, we as mankind, we are made to show God off. We're made to glorify him, to make much of him, to magnify him in the way that we live. Now, there is a way that we'll do this specifically. There's a mission that we're all called to, and we'll talk about that as we get going. But for now, I want to remind you that if you can get this, there is a life of joy. There is a life of peace. Now, if that's all true, okay, if you're you're buying that, if that's all true, why don't we do it? Why don't we make much of him? Why don't we show him off? Well, let me illustrate why I think we don't. So when I, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. That was kind of my goal. That was my dream. Needless to say, that didn't happen. But that was always my goal. So if I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player, when I was in high school, I always thought, just naturally, I thought the transition from high school to college baseball would be easy. I was like, ah, this will be child's play. So I get to college, and I figure out really soon, it ain't easy. It was a lot more difficult than I could have ever imagined. And it was for one simple reason. In college, the mindset needed to shift. It was a weak mentality led to bad playing. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. When I got there, 
I would play, and pitchers began to understand, you know what, I don't think Simeon can hit a changeup. And so they'd start throwing me changeups. They're like, oh, I don't think he can hit a fastball inside. They'd start throwing me fastballs inside. And it'd make matters even worse. The fielders on the field, they would begin to shift where I hit the ball the most. And so they're standing right in my view. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I keep hitting it to them. Some of you are picking me up. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know baseball like that. So what are you talking about? Well, let me make it simple for you. They learned my weakness, and it messed with my mentality. They learned my weakness, and they exploited it. And so what I had to do is I had to change my mentality. And one day, I had a friend that came up to me, and he gave me a book. He gave me a book, and this book absolutely changed my life. And it, by the, it's not the Bible, if that's what you're thinking. The book is not the Bible. Some of you are so holy, you're like, man, the Bible changed his baseball game. That's amazing. <laughs> but if that was the case, I'd be in the major leagues right now making millions of dollars for the glory of God, of course. So, all right, either which way. This book's name was The Mental Game of Baseball the mental game of baseball. And the premise of the book, it was that your mentality determines how you play. And I had to learn to calm my mind and not think about my weaknesses and think about what other people were thinking about me so that I can play. I could have more peace to perform in my mission. I remember I would always think, I'm sitting there about to hit the ball, and oh my gosh, is he going to throw me a changeup? Is he going to throw me a fastball inside? Wait, why are they shifting over to the right? What's going on? I had to calm the mind, relax it, and focus on the mission, which for me in baseball was see ball, hit ball. <laughs> Here's why we fail, fail to seize the opportunity of making much of our maker. Our mentality's off. Our mentality's off. The enemy knows our weakness, and if he can get our minds off of our maker, God, he's going to keep us from our mission. And there is no joy, there is no peace. Think about it. We have problems, we have weaknesses that we go through, and the enemy tries to exploit that as we go. Oh, wait, what time, what time is the appointment again? Wait, we have to pay the bills. We all have these problems that we're going through all day, every single day. And guess what? The enemy's always there reminding us, here's an issue. Here's a problem. What are they thinking about me at work? Man, I got to go to work tomorrow, and I got to deal with the boss. We got all these problems that we're doing, dealing with. My car just broke down. It's in the shop. All these problems that we're dealing with, and our mentality is slipping, and we're not fulfilling our mission because our mind is not on our maker. And so that's what we're going to have today is we're going to first look at David who gets his mind on his maker and it's going to help him to fulfill his mission. You ready? Let's go to the scriptures. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And we're going to be in the NLT today. The NLT, the New Living Translation. Psalm chapter 8. And here, here we go. The, the, the purpose of this psalm is to get your mind in the right place. Get your mind in the right place so you can answer this question what is man, so that you can live a life filled with joy and happiness. So David, we're going to see, he's going to obsess over his maker. He's going to obsess over his maker because he's going to see that God has more majesty. He is greater than any other person, any other thing in the world, and he's going to be obsessing over it. So let me set the scene, and then we'll get straight into the passage. David, he, he goes outside one day, and he's sitting there, and it's nighttime, and he sits down, and he looks up, and here's the very first thing that he says. Verse 1. He says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. It's the first thing he says as he steps outside. David is seeing the majesty of God in what is made. 
He's seeing the majesty of God and what is made. And you'll notice there in the passage too, the majesty is a parallel concept to glory. They're, they're kind of synonymous. There's a little nuance. It's a little different. But if you were to take them both together, you're going to see that it means God is great. He, he, he is, it, it's, it, it denotes his grandioseness. It, 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 it helps us to understand that he is the great authority in the universe. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has royalty that is above all else. And so here's the idea David wants us to get to know as soon as he steps outside is this, that the majesty of God is discernible in what is made. That, that, that like, like, like a painting that shows off the greatness of the artist, the majesty of God should show off, his, the, the works of God should show off his majesty. So when I go outside and we're about to go on vacation, when you go outside and you see the trees, you see the ocean, you see the mountains, you're on a hike or whatever it might be, you see the stars in the sky, you, the first thing that should come to your mind is, wow, who made this? He is majestic. He is great. He is mighty. That's the first thing that should come to our mind. But again, if our minds are not in the right place, we won't see the majesty of God. The majesty of God is the first thing that we should see in what he's made. But look, even furthermore, he says that your glory is higher than the heavens. What is David trying to get us to see here? This is what he's saying. The majesty of God is mysterious. We can't know it completely. That when I see that painting, it, it tells me of the greatness of the artist, but it doesn't tell me the whole story. That your glory and your majesty, as great as it is, as magnificent as it is, I cannot capture it. I cannot see it. Though I can discern it, I can't know it completely. Here it is, that the greatness that I see, it speaks to the superlative greatness of the God who created it. And so I should always be marveling at this God that made all things. Simeon, Simeon, what, what, what does this have to do with it? Come on, come on, come on, come on. What does this have to do? Okay, well, let me tell you. That this tells us, and it implies, that you don't know God like you think you know him. <laughs> you don't look to the person next to you and say, you don't know him like that. You don't know him like that. You don't know God like you think you know him. See, I, I'm in seminary right now. I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm writing, I have like eight papers due right now, and I am learning so much about God. But you know what that tells me? It tells me, it shows me that I don't know him like I think I know him. Everything I learn, it, it feeds my mind and it helps me to know this God is more mysterious than I could ever imagine. He's incomprehensible. He is great. And David the king who, is, who, is, who, who has been given all power in the earth and all authority in the earth himself, he says, I don't even know you like that. You are so good. You are so magnificent. The worst place to be is to think I know God. The worst place to be is, oh, I grew up in church. Oh, my parents taught me all the truth. I've been coming to this church for 40 years. I've got it figured out. I know theology like that. I went to school. I went to seminary. I know the, the attributes of God in and out. I know all the little things that I learned in Sunday school. The worst place to be is to think that I know God like that. But Paul, if, if, even if you were to look at Moses, this is how we should be. Moses says, it, it, the Bible tells us that Moses spoke to God face to face. No other Israelite in the Old Testament spoke to God face to face. He spoke to God face to face. And Moses said, God, show me your glory. Show me your majesty. Show me how good you are. I talk to you face to face, but I've got to know more. I've got to see that you're good. I've got to see that you're loving. I've got to see that you're great. Even though I've read about it, I've got to know more. 
And even Paul, Paul, he, he goes to the heavens. It says that he was in the third heaven. He went to where we've never gone. He comes back down. He gives us revelation. Paul writes us 13 letters in the New Testament. I think Paul knew a little more than we know about God. And Paul says, I count it all as rubbish. I count it all as rubbish just to know him. I count it all as rubbish not to be a, a theologian. I count it all as rubbish not, not to get up and preach well. I count it all as rubbish not even to preach the gospel. I count it all as rubbish to know my maker, just to know him. But I wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. He didn't have it all figured out. The worst place to be is to say, I know him like that. No, 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 we don't know him like that. Can you say amen? Amen. I always tell my youth, if you don't say amen, I'm going I'm to go through the whole thing again. So that's, that's, that's good. I was, I was going to keep, I was like, maybe they didn't get the point. I might have to keep going. All right, enough of that. Uh, let's go to verse two. Look at this. Verse two, he says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies. So David continues, and he continues to marvel at the majesty of, of God, but he, he's not external, but he, now he goes internal and he thinks about his enemies. He thinks about maybe he's the king and he's thinking about all the enemies he has and they are the enemies of God. And what he's helping us to see is that God is able to defeat his enemies with babies, with, with the weakest of creatures. How majestic is this God that he is able to do that? Let's go, let's go even a little deeper. That, that, that the Bible tells us that the wars that we wage and the wars that we fight in this world, they actually happen in our minds. They happen in the minds. And the enemies of God, they build systems to sabotage society so that the majority of people buy into the lie leading to their own misery. That's what ends up happening. So we look at the schools, we look at the government, we look at all these different things, we look at the philosophies that are prevailing our, 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 our children and what, what, what else. But, but we have to understand, God says, I don't need a theologically astute pastor. I don't need a theologian. I don't need a politician. I don't need a teacher. I don't need someone. I can do it with babies. I can defeat my enemies with the weakest of creatures. It helps us to see that the majesty of God is not just expressed in what he's made, but the majesty of God is also expressed in his ability to protect what he's made. It's also expressed in his ability to protect what he's made. How many of you guys know that, that it, 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 it might look bad? It might look bad out there, but he's working it for good. That he created a good world. He created a great world, and though sin has permeated this world, though things are bad, he's working it for good. And the point should not be, our focus should not be on, oh my gosh, man, like, look at what's going on in, in the politics. Look what's going on. I turn on the news, and I see all this crap and all this trash. It's terrible. Things are going to hell. It's just the worst thing I've ever seen. That should not be our obsession. Our obsession is that this good God, this great king, this majestic king, he is on the throne. He is on the throne. And if he is on the throne, he is able to turn it all to good. That when I was reading the prophets, I, I, I spent a, a couple months just reading the prophets. Something that I saw is that the society at the time was terrible. They were killing the prophets. They were, they were bringing people into captivity. They were abusing their power. It was terrible. It kind of looked like our world today. It was terrible. But what I saw is God was proclaiming in his word that I see it and I'm doing something about it. 
I'm always doing something about the wickedness that I see. I didn't just make the world, I'm also going to keep the world, and I'm going to protect the world. So David sees that the majesty of God is in what he's made, but also in his ability to protect what he's made. And then we go on to verse 3. It says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. Let's pause for one second. He, this, is, this is where we get that and we understand that David's outside and it's nighttime. David says, when I see that your glory is, is, is in, the, in the heavens and in the stars, he says this in verse 1 too, and then he goes internal, goes to his enemies. He goes right back. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. He goes right back out to the stars and the moon. Here we go to man. Verse 4, he says, what are mere mortals? that you should think about them. One translation says, what is man that you are mindful of him, if you've ever heard that. He says, human beings that you should care for them. So David compares the moon and the stars, and he says, what is man? Oh my gosh, how majestic is your name. It fills the earth, you are magnificent. Even your enemies, even though it seems like they're always pressing upon me, your majesty is so powerful, you can defeat them with babies. But what is man? What is man? David is here shifting from the majesty of God to the majesty of mankind. Something we miss. He's shifting from the fact that man has majesty as well. And here, here's something I want you to see. I want you to get your mind on your maker. But our mind should be on our maker because our maker's mind is on us. His mind is on us. Simeon, what does that have to do with anything? What do you, his mind's on us. What does that mean? It implies and it shows us that mankind is created for unique, intimate relationship with God. Our purpose. Unique, intimate relationship with God. St. Augustine says this. He says, you have made us for yourself, God. You have made us for yourself. Oh, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you restless? Anybody anxious? Exhausted. We are restless until we rest in him. We are created. His mind is on you. He thinks about you. You may be ignored. You may feel like you don't have a place in this world. You may feel like you can't make it. You may feel like you've gotten bypassed and people pass over you. You may feel you're insignificant. But his mind, the maker, is on you. That is remarkable. That is magnificent. On top of that, as we're looking at the majesty of man now, is I'm, I'm very intrigued by David's ability. He goes from, he teaches us a pattern here. He goes from the majesty of God to the majesty of man. He's pivoting, and, and what he's showing us is that if our eyes are on God first, it will help us to see who we are. And this pattern is actually shown in other places, Ten Commandments, but also in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. He shifts to mankind. It's a pattern. I always teach the students about it when they go to pray. You've got to get your perspective. You've got to get a perspective shift. You've got to see it different. When you start with your problems, when you start with the enemies of God, when you start there, things tend to go south real quick. 
God, oh, man, my car's back in the shop. And this, by the way, is really real. That happened to me. Like, my car is in the shop. That's why I keep bringing it up. God, my car is in the shop. Ah, I got to pay the bills. Man, she said that about me again today. Ah, oh, man, my boss is going to call me. And all of it. Start with my problems. Lord, give me help for my, no, no, no. Start, start there. Majesty of God. Start with the majesty of God, and then we're going to be able to see the majesty of man. Now, let's look at exactly what he says. Verse 5, he goes, yet you have made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. So here, we, we, we don't have time to go look at it, but if you want to write this down, it's also in the discussion guide. If you want to look, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, it is incredibly clear that, that David, who's writing this psalm, he is referring to the Genesis account, the creation account, where it shows us that God created mankind, if you've ever read Genesis 1, in his image. He created mankind in his likeness. And this is super important. Again, why is it important that God created? It's super important because we don't value mankind. We don't. We don't. We live in a, we live in a culture that hates mankind. We live in a culture that people go to the mirror and don't like themselves, and then they go see other people and try and destroy them. We don't like ourselves. We don't, the, the, the society, if you look at how we value life, it's not there. We don't value life. And why should we value life? Because we're created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. And so sometimes, and this is a little funny, sometimes you can, you can think that you can get it mixed up. You can think, oh, oh, okay, I am created in the image of God. That's great, so that means I'm on par with God. Like, I'm an awesome person. I'm a great man. It's like, no, that's, that's wrong. That's why he says you're made lower than God. You're not above. You're lower than God, but you're above all the rest of creation. So you can't get it twisted. You can't think that all of a sudden now I am God. There's all kind of problems with that. It's, you know, it's Father's Day, so in the name of Father's Day, I'll tell a quick little story. I mean, this, it's a little embarrassing, but I, I for myself, I, I had a problem with this as I grew up. I, for, you know, I, I thought I was above, uh, you know, most of other people. I, I thought I was that kind of person. thought I was awesome. thought I was the man. And it's, I, I got to blame it on my dad. I have to blame it on my dad. And the, the, I'm sorry, it's Father's Day, but I got to blame it on you. Because, well, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him. Because as I grew up, until this day, he always looked at me and he would say, Simeon, you're the man of all men. You're the man of all men. And I'm thinking, I like that title. Uh, like, it's like, I... I can rock with that. Like, I'm the man of all men. So, like, all you bow. <laughs> like, all men. Wow, I'm the man of all men. So, like, for my whole life, I've always heard that. Simi, you are the man of all men. And all my brothers are like, yeah, well, I guess he's the man of all men. I'm the man of all men. And I come to find, this is actually when I got married. I got married. This is about six months ago. My dad, you know, he calls me the man of all men in front of my wife. And I'm like, that feels really good. I'm the man of all men. Babe, do you hear? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm the man of all men. Yeah. But, and she's like, wow, that's an interesting title. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever heard of the story that, that, uh, on how we came about that title? And I was like, wait, there's a story? I thought I was born the man of all men. So <laughs> I didn't know there's a story. And he was like, yeah, yeah, you've never heard of the story? He didn't even tell me the story. And he goes, so one day, Simeon comes in, and he does a great job. I don't remember exactly what the thing was. He comes in, and we look at him, and we go, Simeon, you're the man. Just like you've ever done that? You're the man. Hey, good job. Go get him. You're the man. And I go to my dad, and I look at him, and I say, 
yeah, dad, I'm the man of all men. And he was like, oh, you're the man of all men. So that's how that title happened is my dad, or I actually called myself the man of all men. So even as like a six-year-old child, you know, I maybe had a problem with uh, pride. So, all right, all right. Uh, I don't know why I went there. It, uh, <laughs> so we can feel like that sometimes, can't we? We can either lower ourselves below creation, devalue life, eh, I don't like my life, or we can think we're the man of all men. And so I'm still working on getting rid of that pride. But, um, <laughs> but we don't have the capacity to be God. We don't have the capacity to be God. And I'm going to show you here in one, as we finish up with verse 6 through 8, why it can be detrimental if we think that we are above God or even on par with God. Majesty of God, majesty of man. Man has value, crazy value, great value. But he's not above God. So verse 6, it says this. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. He puts everything under our control, mankind, man and woman. This is what theologians, they call this the cultural mandate. You want to know how to engage in culture? We're going to talk specifically exactly what that is here in a second, but this is it. You care for creation. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, you have dominion over creation. In our culture, we hate that word, dominion. Oh, my gosh, no, we should never dominate anything. See, but it's, dominion doesn't denote dominance. But when we think we're God, dominion has become domination. Dominion has become destruction. Have you seen us destroy our world? <laughs> have you seen that? It's, I don't want to get into it, but even working at the school systems, being out in public, seeing different things, destruction. Have you ever walked into a place and you just said, oh my gosh, why is it so wicked? Why is it so bad? And let me tell you why. Because when sin entered this world, we think we are God. And if we can get rid of God in the picture and we have dominion, then that dominion becomes destruction because we do not have the capacity to create like God and sustain like God. There is a majesty of God and then there's the majesty of man. We got to get our eyes in the right place, got to get our minds in the right place, and then bring it back down. So what does that actually look like? We'll get there in one second. Let's just finish up with this last verse. He says in, in verse 9, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, your majestic name fills the earth. Mm. Oh, yeah, say that again. Amen. Amen. Mm. This is what uh, theologians, again, they call this an inclusio. So what this means is if you remember in verse 1, it's the exact same wording as it is in verse 9. It, it, it brackets off the psalm. It completes the psalm. But what David's really doing is he's doing exactly what I've been trying to say throughout this whole psalm, is get your mind on, on the maker, then that's going to impact how you should think about man. However, don't forget his majesty. Don't forget he's great. Don't forget his royalty, his authority. When we forget it, all hell breaks loose and things go bad. So let's conclude here with just two quick insights. Two quick insights, and then we'll, well, the second one, we'll talk about how we can do this specifically. Two quick insights. First, remember we said that we want to get our mind on our maker. You're not going to be able to complete your mission as mankind, you have a purpose, one general purpose. You got to get your mind on your maker. You have to. But if we're going to get our mind on our maker, 
we need to realize that our maker is a man. That our maker is a man. Our maker is a man. Look at Hebrews 2, 6 through 9. It says, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Starting to sound familiar? You made him a little lower than... Uh, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything into subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection under him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who, will, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Pause. Who is this him? Who are we talking about? Mm. Namely, he continues, Jesus, crowned, with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. My goodness, my goodness. Mm. So I think it's clear, but when the writer of Hebrews is writing Hebrews chapter two, he has Psalm eight in mind. I think that's pretty clear. He's, he's almost quoting Psalm eight. But when the writer of Hebrews is writing Hebrews chapter 2, he sees man, but he doesn't just have man in mind. He has Jesus in mind. He has the man of all men in mind. And that's not Simeon Bell. <laughs> it's Jesus Christ. And he says pretty much to us, if you catch it, that the cultural mandate that we all have this, this, we are to care for creation. We're to have dominion over creation. We're to take care of the things that God's taken, called us to take care of. We're to love people and be kind to people. And we're to do that in a perfect way. That in Genesis chapter one was our mandate. He's helping us to see that there was one person that kept that mandate. There's one person that followed through on that mission. There's one person that never got it wrong. One person never sinned. One person never messed up. One person cared completely. One person rejected destruction and went for dominion. One person did that. One man, and his name is Jesus. One man. But this is the good news about this one man. He didn't just care for the creation generally. He didn't just come down and make sure his grass was mowed perfectly and he, he cared for his dog well. No, he didn't just care for the creation in a general way. He did it in a very specific way that he cared for us and the greatest way that he did that is he died for us. One man died for us. He lived a perfect life. He, he went to, to the cross and he took our sins and he died for us. But this one man, he didn't just die for us, but he also was raised for us. And he's raised for us and it says that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father where all authority is in his hand. And it tells us that if we put our faith in him, if we believe that in our hearts, and again, I started with, you don't know God like that for a reason. Don't let this just be mundane. Don't let this just be another church Sunday. Don't let it be like that. Internalize this right now, that if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him with your whole heart, and you believe in him to the point that it changes your actions, he says, you are wrapped up and you are found in heaven with me, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father with me. All authority has been given to me and it's gonna be poured back into you and you're gonna be enabled to walk out this cultural mandate. You're gonna be able to care for creation. You're gonna be able to reject destruction and go for dominion. You're gonna be able to do what mankind was called to do. That's what he says. I guess I can go on then. <laughs> All right, the second insight, man, man, oh, amen, amen, amen. 
Amen. I love that song, His Mercy. Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. Wow. That crushed me this morning. <laughs> Our sins are many. His mercy is more. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Spirit. Amen. So our mind is on a man, and his name is Jesus Christ. You get your mind on a man that, that when you hear a sermon and you hear Jesus preached, get it there. Focus on it. Amen it. Yes and hallelujah. When you're reading in the word in the morning, you're not just reading a cute, awesome story. You're reading, you're looking for a man. You're looking for Jesus. You're going after Jesus. How did he change my life? When you're reading in the prophets, when you're reading in Genesis, everywhere you're reading, you're seeing, how did this Jesus, how did he impact the world? And it's a big epic. It's a big story about him, and you're celebrating him the whole time. That's how we get our mind on him. But after we get our mind on him, here's the second and final point. We get our mind on our mission. We get our mind on our mission. Now, what is our mission? What is this mission? Well, we already talked about it. It's the cultural mandate. It's the cultural mandate. However, because of sin, because we fell in the garden, this mandate was not complete and was not, not uh, uh, achieved by anyone but Jesus. He comes and he achieves this for us. But when Jesus achieves it, like I just said, he went and raised and he was seated at the right hand of the Father. He helps us and focuses up this cultural mandate. Because you might be saying, but Simeon, how do I do that completely? I get it, okay, take care of the fish and the birds, and I get, okay, whatever, are we supposed to start an aquarium? Like, what are we supposed to do? No, 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 he says, I'm gonna, fo I'm gonna focus this thing up for you, and I'm gonna tell you exactly what you can do. You can be a good employee, you can show up on time, you can do those things, that's it. But here's one specific, general thing that you can do to make much of your maker. Here it is, Matthew chapter 28, 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority, his power, his dominion, his majesty, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's focused up. Simeon, what do I do? How do I do it? The cultural mandate but let's focus it up with the mission. The mission is the Great Commission. The mission is go make disciples of Jesus Christ. Get out there and make disciples. How do I do that, Simeon? Leverage your money, your time, your skills, your talent to make disciples. Your platform to make disciples. Your children to make disciples. Use everything you have at your disposal Every single thing you have to focus up and make disciples. I, as a human, am called to make much of him, to glorify him, to show him off. How do you do that? Make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. If you don't make disciples, life of misery. It's, 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 and again, I'd love to just tell you something else, but it's true. That's it. That's the call. Go make disciples. This isn't just a numerical thing where you got, oh, I made 50, so I should be happy. Oh, I made 20. No, 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 no. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. Is my mind on my mission? Am I actively seeking to make disciples? Am I actively doing that? Yeah, I know as, as, a, as a youth pastor, one of, one of the things that I, I, I believe 100% is that a youth pastor should always be in the school system. That's, that's where the kids are. You need to go there. You need to be there and actively making disciples in the schools. You're going to see a lot of lost people in those schools. Go there. I remember my first job that when I was down in Georgia, 
I was terrible at this. I was terrible. And the reason I was terrible, I remember I would go to the schools and I would sit there paralyzed. I was nervous. I didn't know what to do. I had anxiety. I had all these kids looking at me like, what the heck are you doing here? And I'm just like, oh, shoot. Like, what do I do? Then all of a sudden a teacher would look at me. I'm like, ah, you know, what do I do? I didn't know what to do. I was paralyzed with fear, anxious, didn't know what to do. And so I didn't do too well there. And that was fine. But when I came here, I thought differently. I said, what am I going to do different? What am I going to do different? I'm going to do what David said today about in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be bold. And this is when I really learned this lesson. I'm going to get my mind on him. And I'm going to think about God. And I remember, and I've told the students this, when I, pray to, when I go to school every single day, I pray like the students' lives de- is dependent on it. I mean, I go, every single morning, I am praying, Lord Jesus. And I'm not just starting with, I'm not just starting with, oh, save the schools and the systems, give me an open door. I'm not doing that. I'm starting with him. I'm saying, you are good. You are sovereign. You are great. You're magnificent. You're amazing. You're kind. I'm going at his attributes. I'm going after this Jesus we talk about. Oh, but Brett preaches it all Sunday. I know it. No, I don't. I don't know it. I don't know it. We have to realize that I don't know this mysterious God. I don't know him like that. So I'm going after him every single day. I'll tell you, I remember every single, I would drive and I would say, God, I see that car in front of me. It's real. I can see it, but it's not as real as you. And I want you to be more real than what I see in front of me. I want you to be more real. I'm in school. I'm, a, I'm, I'm learning to be a theologian, a pastor. You would think I would know this stuff, but I don't know it like that. God, make it real to me. Holy Spirit of God, make it so real to me. Be present with me. Mold me. Change me. And when you do that, my gosh, <laughs> you can go into any place. You can go into any place. And all you see is people, people that need to be saved. That's all you see. You may be nervous, you may be scared, you may have anxiety like I had, you may be uh, afraid, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. I would just say, here's the fix, here's the antidote. Get your mind on him. Get your mind on him and be obsessed with him. Oh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How great you are, you are authority, you are good, you are great. And if your mind's on him, you're merciful. If you're consumed with that, when you go in there, my goodness, your mind will be on your mission. And you'll be ready to make disciples. I'll never forget when my brother Eric, he came to me uh, when I went into the schools. And he came and he asked me about God. And next thing I know, I I was like, why is this dude asking me about God? I never said anything about God. Do you remember? I never said anything about God. You're just like, I know you're a Christian. I'm like, how do you know I'm a Christian? Like, what what, what is this? The point is, I I, I must have been been a light in the school. It was was exuding out. It was coming out of my person because my mind was on him. He came to me and I shared the gospel with him. And he gave his life to Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus. And not just that, but his beautiful wife, Kelly, she gave her life to Jesus. And not just that, but we were able to share the gospel with over half of the football team. We've had students that have come from the schools into here because of, uh, he, they would say it's because of me, but it's really because of him because he's crazy and he's bold and he'll get anybody. But, but we've, we've been able to share and make disciples because my mind was on the maker. I am not perfect by any stretch. I can tell you that 100%, and all who know me would say amen. But I, I, I am not perfect. But I'm telling you, I'm not just teaching something. I'm telling you, I know this. I know this for certain. You get obsessed with him, you get obsessed with him, see what it does when you get into public spaces. See what it does. You know, Simeon, you, you might be saying, Simeon, Simeon, I, you know, I, I get it, but the truth is, like, I, I read my Bible daily, I go to church. I haven't missed a church service in three years. Like, Simeon, I, I pray all the time. 
I'm in Bible study. I've got it. Like my mind, I'll just be honest. I love your sermon, but my mind's on my maker. It's there. It's there, but I haven't shared the gospel in like five years. What do I do? I would say this. Do you realize that your mission is predicated on you being around lost people? Do you realize that? That are you around people who need the gospel? Are you around people that need Jesus? And if you're around people that need Jesus, then I would, I would come back and say, is your mind on your maker? Because if your mind's on football 24-7 and you're in the schools or you're at your job or you're, you, you know, you're at your workplace or at the gym, all you're going to be able to do is talk about that. That's all you got. Hey, did you see the score of the game? Hey, did you see the Golden State Warriors won? The- hey, did you see the, oh man, yeah, 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 yeah. Boom, boom, boom. That's all you're going to be able to talk about because that's where your mind is. But we've got to focus up. Get our mind on him. I'm not saying those things are bad. But get our mind on him. When you're there, it'll change everything. So here's two quick things you can do. I would say put it on your calendar. Let's just make it practical. Put it on your calendar. What do you mean put it on your calendar? Put two things on your calendar. Get, get spending time with God on your calendar. Get it there. Get it there. Is it daily? Is it, what, what are you going to do? Get it on your calendar. If you get it on your calendar, you'll actually do it if you check your calendar. If not, we'll figure that out. It's a different sermon. The second thing is get your mission on your calendar. Well, what does that mean? When are you, when are, when are you going to be around lost people? When? When? What's well, I mean, I mean, it just ha- When? Is it the grocery store? It doesn't matter. When? When? When is it? When you're, when you're hanging out with your wife down at the docks? Or what is it? When, when, when are you going to do this? Write it down. Pop-up pantry maybe. When are you going to do this? Schedule it. And I, I would tell you, but say, okay, then what do I need to say? Don't worry about it. That's another sermon another time. Don't worry about it. Get your mind on him and get around people. Get around people and then make much of him. Let's go to the table. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which I have broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. He says, drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's true that the Lord is present in the preached word of God. He's present. And I pray that as Psalm 8 was preached and all the silly stories that I preach, if you want to just knock those out, get rid of those, who cares? I pray that those words pierced your heart and your soul, that Jesus is present when he is lifted up and he is magnified. But I love this church because something else we realize and recognize, and the elders have done a great job to understand this, is that he is present in his supper. He says that I am present with you. There is a promise in his word that as we eat and we drink the, 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 the supper, he will dwell with us. He will strengthen us. This is a great time to think about, where can I, where, where can I get my mind on my maker more? Where, where, where can I be on mission? Do I even care about the mission? And be honest. Something I've learned is that God is patient with us. 
my gosh, he is patient with us. He is incredibly patient, and he understands where you're at. He understands. This is, when we preach, there's no guilt that should ever come over our minds as if we look to the cross. This is something where, Jesus, I want you to use me the way you've designed me to be. I want you to use me to be on mission. And so I would just invite you to take a couple seconds of silence to speak to the Lord before we go to his table. Father, you are the fountain source of life. You are eternal, self-sufficient, and self-sufficient. While we are temporal and unable to exist for even a moment on our own, this bread reminds us that we must take food from outside ourselves to even live. But it also reminds us that we do not live by physical bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So we come to this table confessing our weakness and needs and looking to you to feed and sustain us in the body and soul. And we give you thanks that you have given us the true eternal bread, Jesus Christ our Lord, the eternal word made in flesh. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, we were chosen in you before time began, given grace rather than the judgment we deserved. And in the fullness of time, you came and destroyed death. For by your own death and resurrection, you have given us life and immortality. We thank you for your blood, which purifies us from sins, seals our covenant with the Father, and gives us eternal life as your people. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing the Father and the Son to us and for meeting us at this table so that it is not mere ritual but a means of grace and strength. We ask that you would meet us each day this week, opening the word of God so that we hear the voice of the Father, revealing the glories of Christ Jesus our Lord, guiding us to walk in the way of God, strengthening us to shun sin and serve others. Oh, Holy Spirit, make us strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, renewing us day by day, transforming us from one degree of glory to another, even making us more like our glorious Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen. What is man? Man is made to make much of his maker. And the mission we have is to make disciples. If that brings you joy and happiness and fulfillment, what would you do to make that happen? If we can stand, we'll give our benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you. Church, you are blessed. Go and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.